or a lot of the local roads are built in that fashion. Mm-hmm. They either right. do their own bond for it or they have a special tax levy. But sometimes the fairy godmother or fairy god uncle Sam comes in and waves a wand and says, look, magic money. And the same people that are complaining about borrowing too much go, yay, we get a new bridge and I didn't have to pay taxes for it. We're just kicking the can. It's gone down the road a bit. That's where the deficit comes from. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach. Starring Exciting. Yes, very exciting to us. Uh, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. We are excited about this sort of thing because um, we're usually the ones in the uh, in the barbecue or at the cocktail party that are over in the corner um, mumbling about uh, economics while everybody else is looking at us strangely. But we think it's very interesting. Um, just talking about economics at a barbecue can be very popular or very unpopular, depending on the barbecue. I was just at a dinner party, and there were probably, goodness, 15 people there. We were sitting around a big table. And oddly enough, I got a question about what's going on in the economy and economics in general. So I started to answer, and the rest of the people gradually stopped talking and gathered around to listen like they were really interested in it, which I don't think I've ever had happen before. It only happens in select time periods and places when everybody is strangely sensitive to economics. The rest of the time, it is the dullest conversation anybody could have at the party. You start answering the question and everybody leaves the room. (laughs) So we're in a strange time right now. Uh, We're very popular as nerds, where usually we are relegated to the corners. Well, one of the things I noticed among this group of people and among other people I've spoken to recently that are not our clients and and we don't have an economics relationship with them, they generally make what I call a question statement, which is, well, there's one thing for sure, we're going to have a recession. (laughs) Yes. isn't 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 it or something it's like, like that? It's like a challenge is, statement. It's a statement with a question mark at the end of it, and or they say there's no question the dollar is headed down and it will lose its dominance in the world. But there's a well, question clearly, mark at the, the end of the no question. Yeah. Yes, and you hear them rise at the end a little bit, and of course we address I address those and say no, when a recession is not necessarily true. It could happen, but we're it's not going to be severe if it happens. And if you don't believe it, try to drive on I-35. Well, it's so much traffic. And, it's because of lack of activity. Say, Wait a minute. What's driving on I-35 got to do with the economy? I said, count the trucks if you can. It's wall-to-wall 18-wheelers. Those constitute commerce. That means somebody is making a profit, which is what runs the GDP. The other thing about I-35 is it's jammed with cars. And that's people who believe they should be spending their money by going somewhere else. Right. And it's usually going somewhere else to spend money. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. So they're spending money to go somewhere else to spend money. Right. Yeah. So we've got to give some disclosures before we continue. And I'm going to do it in a very sneaky fort fashion. Let's see how quickly we can do it. This is the Personal Wealth Coach. That's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. Just because it's reg- registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC gives any kind of approval or acclaim mm-hmm. or acknowledgement. 
Uh, we can't give advice on the air, even though we're the same people that are the principals of that firm, because advice is something that has to be given in the best interest and in privacy. This is neither private, nor do we know everybody that's listening. Maybe. We might know everybody that's listening. Oh. I, it could be just you and me. I'm not listening, so that makes it easy. Okay. So, uh, and then your disclosures next. Well, the information that we use in this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the reliability or completeness of said information. Okay. And then the last disclosure, this is not paid, paid commercial advertisement. We do not pay for this program. We are not paid for this program. Our firm does buy advertisement on the station's airtime, but we play, pay the normal rates. There we go. Okay. Uh, 2011, we had another uh, debt ceiling debate. It didn't come anywhere near to as near to catastrophe as this one did. But the Republicans, who had a majority in the House, uh, but not in the Senate, um, came forward and they said, hey, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling unless we make cuts across the board in these areas. And the Wall Street Journal had a great article on this this, this week about what happened to those cuts when the budget was passed by the same people that insisted on cutting the budget. And this, though not surprising, might be disappointing to a lot of people listening. The same people who threatened to not pay for things that we've already purchased, unless we cut these things in the budget, raised those things in the budget. They're the ones that had control of the pen that was writing that law, and they didn't stick to their guns. They made this big political thing that was dangerous to everyone. It caused our credit rating to drop at one of the major three credit raters. S&P 500, Standard & Poor's. Right, Standard & Poor's lowered our credit rating. Fitch temporarily did and raised it back up. M Moody's didn't touch it. it was, what does that mean? It meant it costs us more money to borrow. And then all of that hoopla in 2011, that terrifying moment in time, when the budget came to be written, they had already negotiated in the debt ceiling that they were going to be cutting these things. The Republicans insisted upon cutting these things, and it sounds like we're targeting the Republicans. We actually do want budget responsibility here. So <laughs> as far as the concept of what's going on here, we agree with the Republicans, just not in how they're doing it. The means do not justify, or the ends do not justify the means. Uh, we've got to be correct and not dangerous to our entire system in cutting the budget. We need to do this in a thoughtful way, not in a, if you don't do this, we're going to blow up everything. I'm going to go out on some thin ice here, and I may be making some, may make a few people angry at me, but I'm going to say there's a huge contradiction in the way this works, a huge contradiction. Here in Salado, Texas, Congressman Carter, Salado, Texas, Congressman Carter, our congressman who voted against, he was very proud, he announced he voted against raising the debt ceiling, commonly is reported in the paper to have secured large amounts, from my perspective, large amounts of money to fix things in Salado. For instance, we have a low water bridge that it's a low water bridge. So when uh, Smith, I think it's Smith Bluff Creek floods, you can't get across that bridge. You have to go another way. It, it's he commonly makes, referred to as Salado Creek, but when it gets down to no, that no, point, no, it's no. Smith. No, not, not Salado Creek. Oh, you, you mean the one that feeds into Salado Creek? It, it feeds into Salado Creek. It's Smith Branch, I think it is. And there's a low water 
crossing there that when we get heavy, heavy rains, floods, and you can't cross it, which means in order to get to houses on the other side, you have to drive, oh, four or five miles extra mm-hmm. to get there. And that's and inc- inconvenient. It's inconvenient. He was very proud of the fact that he got federal money to fix a bridge in Salado. Why? That is beyond my comprehension. Why does the federal government need to get involved in fixing a low water bridge in Salado because we build a bunch of houses on the other side of the bridge? And, and let me say this. This is not a federal road. Right. And But he's proud of that. And it made the headlines in the paper and made everybody here happy. And from our perspective, uh, we go, yay, the bridge is going to get fixed. But where did the money come from? Why not? Admittedly, uh, Salado is in relatively continuously and relatively dire straits financially because they don't get enough money to accommodate the road repairs and everything else from regular taxes. There's a couple of reasons for that, uh, not the least of which is that the legislature in Texas the, and the Republicans and the, did this, and they're very proud of the fact, limited the ability to raise taxes on property rather dramatically. And in, in, their, in, a, in, their, in their limitation on taxes that can be applied to property, it means we can't raise enough money to fix the bridge. And so the federal government, through our representative, steps in and gives us millions of dollars to fix the bridge. Which we well, we wonderful. all appreciate. We say thank you. But this this money is borrowed, and this is the same stuff right. that borrowing that he voted against. But he voted for the spending. I it uh, is it's difficult. Wait a minute. It's Why are we? My question, and if I could ask him, that's one I would love to ask. And I think I probably know the answer to it. It's probably a good answer. But it's a contradiction. And the contradiction is, why are we spending this money on something local at the federal government level when the state and the the state refuses to allow us to raise the money to fix the bridge? So we go to the federal government, which the state is not in debt. We go to the federal government, which is in debt up to its eyebrows, and ask for money from them. It's our congressman gets it borrowed and brings it here, and the same people who are against a large deficit rejoice that they now have a better low-water bridge. And this is purely behavioral finance. This is just the way people are. Hey, we don't have any money in the bank. Man, I don't, I don't want to spend time cooking food. Let's go out to eat. Get out the credit card. Oh, man, our budget's really looking bad. Let's pay extra toward the credit card this month. Oh, now we don't have any money in the bank. Let's go out to eat. Yeah. It's a cycle, and you have to stop it at some point. Uh, we're, and we've said this before many times. If you look at the tax revenue, the revenue to the government, we only have enough tax revenue to pay for defense, Medicare, Social Security, and the other retirement pensions of the United States government. That's it, those three. That doesn't count interest on the debt, and it doesn't include any of the road work or the FBI, or the IRS, or any of the other things in the budget, those three major items account for all of our revenue. So we either have to cut those items or raise taxes. Those are our options. <laughs> and those aren't fun. Those, you know, I'm saying this, I would never get elected to public office with this as my speech. But if we're talking to a dysfunctional family who comes in and says, we're making a lot of money. Every year, we're making more money than we ever made before. And you can look at the revenue of the United States government and see that that's the case. And man, we're amazing. We're doing so great. But we, our savings are nothing. And, and we're just getting more and more debt every year. We're just increasing our spending. Well, you're making more money, right? Yeah, but we're increasing our spending faster than we're making more money. That's a problem. But everything that's being purchased 
is because someone in the family wants it. It's the new shoes for Johnny. Well, how many pairs of shoes does he have? Well, he's got eight or nine, but these are the new ones. These are the ones that his classmates are going to look at and say, wow, that's cool. He won't get picked on. By the way, that's our defense. We have a really great defense, and I'm not saying we should cut it. I'm not actually offering any solutions here. Oh, I've got a solution, but I'm, it's, 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 it's non-starter. And the solution is local, local things like that low water bridge should be paid for by, at the minimum, some the Texas uh, taxpayers. And probably the, the people who will benefit from it are in those houses on the other side that, that, to get to. I think it'd be appropriate to say, okay, we, you want to hire a low water bridge? No problem. We will have a special tax allocated on your property for the people on the other side of the bridge who this bridge is being built for. We will divide up the cost of building that bridge between your houses according to their market valuation, and you get to pay for your bridge. That's how a lot of times sewers are developed. They do a little local bond offering or a stadium or a lot of the local roads are built in that fashion. Mm-hmm. They either right. do their own bond for it or they have a special tax levy. But sometimes the fairy godmother or fairy god uncle Sam comes in and waves a wand and says, look, magic money. And the same people that are complaining about borrowing too much go, yay, we get a new bridge and I didn't have to pay taxes for it. We're just kicking the can. It's gone down the road the, a bit. Folks, that's where the deficit comes from. And... um Congressman Carter gets reelected because he brought money back to his district. That's a big thing. Not just and Congressman Carter. He happens to be our congressman. Right. But and every it happens in every does this. district Everyone. across the country, including when Ron Paul, who vigorously opposes the federal government borrowing any money, and when he was a let, Rand when Paul he was now. in the oh, Rand, no, I'm talking about Ron, his, his dad. dad. Okay who had a really weird-looking district in the state of Texas and was really happy to bring money home to that district from the federal government that was borrowed while he was completely against borrowing by the federal government. Uh, Wait a minute. Are you saying that there's some hypocrisy in politics? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me... me, Are you sure about that? No, that's a generalization. (laughs) I won't say there's hypocrisy in politics. What I will say is there's some specific things that happen that we as the voting electorate, I believe, should pay attention to. We won't as a group. We won't. We'll reelect uh, whoever sounds most conservative in, in our primaries and whoever sounds most conservative in the general election will get elected because we're in Texas. That's just the way we are. But the contradiction drives me personally up the wall. And I... The issue is we don't want the government to borrow money for things other than the core issues that are required by the federal government. That's the speech. Right. That's And I would, I would go with that. Except in my district. Except in my district where I want the federal government to borrow a lot of money so I can do things in my district that will put me in the headlines and get me reelected. Right. And this is every representative, every senator does this. There's, there's no exceptions. Um, this is a, we've got to make some hard choices, folks. And some of those hard choices are, what about that intersection where the death occurred in the traffic accident last mm-hmm. year? We need to get that fixed. We do. But how yeah. do we pay for it needs to be part of the conversation. We can't just magic wand it because the magic isn't magic. It's debt. And the state at the same time continues to pass bills almost every, with almost every legislature that meets in the state of Texas passes bills that restrict the ability of the lo- local municipality, whether it be the county or the village or the city or whatever, to increase the taxes to pay for things that need to be paid for. 
even though those same tax increases would require a local referendum where the people would have to come and vote oh, no. on their own tax raise. With a referendum, they can pass them. Um, okay, so that's that's that actually is more democratic, which just to be a side note, Republicans are based in the concept that we have a representative democracy, a, re- a republic, where we elect people to go in so that we don't have to have referendums on a normal basis. And they're saying... Generally speaking, we don't want to raise taxes unilaterally based on the vote of your representative, but rather want you to come and vote democratically, which just as a side note is the populist branch originally, and it's becoming less – demographically, it's fascinating to watch this. The Republicans have become the populist uh, party, and if you doubt that, the majority of Teamsters – now hold themselves to be Republicans. Mm-hmm. Teamsters unions, unions, uh, by the way, that union concept is the same union as you find in communion or communism. It's about we share equally based on popularity. So we're seeing a demographic shift in the political branches as to what does conservatism mean? It's changing. I want to say something in defense of Representative Carter since I said something unhappy about it. I asked, I asked, I asked, whatever. Wait, wait, you can ask him, but that's a felony, so don't do that. I, I, I queried him. Okay. Uh, on this very subject, on this radio show years ago, uh, which seemed to make him a little uncomfortable, and his response was, if I don't take that money and bring it home to my district to build bridges and roads and the things that the district needs, somebody else will get the money because the leadership allocates out what they used to call earmarks. So that everybody got their earmark. And if anybody in the in the majority party in the House of Representatives didn't accept their earmark money, it would go to another registration, another reg, another representative and another district. And I hear you. Yeah. And that by the way, but if I were in there's the a there's a whole office, there's a whole sector of economics devoted to the research on that very subject. It falls under the title, The Plight of the Commons. When you have a shared research that is a resource that is finite and you don't take some of it, somebody else will take more of it and it will be gone just as quickly. Right. It's it's, it's a policy though. It's a problem, a bias. I can't argue with his philosophy that we need to borrow more money so that I so that each representative can bring money home and get reelected. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's that, in his best interest, that's for sure, it and is. it's good for the for the people back home, right? We get bridges. Yes, it is. Uh, although to turn around and then threaten to put the country into default, so putting us in a position where we not pay for the money that was borrowed to build that bridge. Yeah. Now, now we're getting to a point where the snake is eating its own tail. Um, yeah. This is not cool. Uh, so where we are on this means that we don't fall into any party platform, which is sad because we used to. We used to fall under both party platforms with that statement. And I feel uh, like a lot of people in the United States feel left out by the rhetoric of their parties. Nobody is talking right now about balancing the budget. In that debt ceiling debate, That those words did not come up. They were talking about uh, lowering borrowing. Our, even the framing of what side holds what's opinion has moved. <laughs> now we're ready to destroy everything so we borrow less, not so that we balance the budget. Tom just sent us a question. 
And we've got two and questions I, I from realize, John as well. So, and, but it, Tom's question was on this very issue. Uh, he mentioned that we had said in the past that having government debt is good. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we're not objecting to the government debt. We're, as long as it's a, a reasonable amount of money. We want it to uh, grow yeah. slower than the growth the, rate of the GDP. The fact is, growth in this world economy, capitalist growth, occurs almost exclusively with borrowed money. In other words, if I have a business and I want to make more money in the business and I want to, which would result in me paying more taxes, the odds are if I wanted to build a second office or expand this office, we would borrow the money, make a capital investment to do that and expect that they would be a good return on the money in the future. So borrowing at a certain level is absolutely necessary. Right. Trying and to run a balanced budget. By the way, that was the key element that created the Great Depression is the insistence by, and once again, it was Republicans, in the House of Representatives that we should balance the budget. So they cut spending and raised tax as we slid into the Depression, and that exacerbated it, and they kept cutting the budget and raising taxes until the economy was crushed. What, what we want to have happen here is to recognize the difference between good debt and bad debt. Infrastructure debt is good debt. It's like having a mortgage. You're paying for a large structure that you're going to be using over a long period of time, and you're paying for it over the time that you're using it. That's a reasonable uh, use of debt. Consumption debt is bad. That's credit cards. You went out to eat, you put it on debt. If you hold that debt for five years, that meal just went into the stratosphere as price goes. And when we're financing Social Security or Medicare, that's consumer debt. So that's not good debt. And measuring out what good debt is and what bad debt isn't that difficult to do if you're not having voters breathing down your neck the whole time. Well, infrastructure debt is commonly good, but not yeah, always. Not it's always. possible to invest in, for instance, road projects. The, Chinese, the Japanese have done this extensively. The Chinese that, as well. <laughs> and, and the Chinese and we, we built a bridge to nowhere at one point yeah. with federal money. The word boondoggle uh, comes to mind because it gets used all the time for this stuff. So the, the issue is there's a certain level of debt that is needed to keep things running in the world and in the United States. The issue that we face is with the rising interest rates that are partially generated by this event that just occurred, it can become, no matter how much, when we have to refinance the debt over and over again, as interest rates go up, it becomes more expensive to the United States. Yeah, We have the lowest, in the United States, we have the lowest taxation as a percentage of GDP, percentage of income of any developed nation. I don't enjoy paying taxes at all. I don't like paying taxes. But to complain about the deficit and then to complain about the fact that you're paying too much taxes is a contradiction. Uh, and while I agree absolutely with you conceptually, the statistic there about us paying the lowest is not correct, unfortunately. Because, really? Yeah. A lot of the other countries, when they put that stuff forward, they have all of the local taxes included in one big number. There are big numbers don't include state and local. When you look at state, local, and federal taxes, our tax rate is right up there with the Danes. It's right up there with um, with the Swedes. We're spending money on defense where they were spending money on medicine, but our tax rates are about the same. They run about the 52% range. 
I know that seems weird, but if you add up all of your property taxes, all of your sales taxes, all of your state, local, all of that stuff together. I'm going to disagree with you here. Okay. Please do. Uh, I glanced at it. You know, I can come up with some references. In the United States, we uh, pay about 25% of our profits and income in total taxation. All the taxes put together, state, local, uh, sales tax, federal income tax, everything. We pay about 25%. The average tax bill for a developed country in the world is 33%. We pay 25. Well, this is, this is I'm, I'm looking at the statistics here at the Tax Policy Center. Total U.S. tax revenue federally equal 24% of gross domestic product. Right. Where um, well below the 34% weighted average for OECD countries. Well, the OECD right. countries have state and local included in that. They don't call it state and local because this, the provinces of well, France don't that, that, have that, independent tax authority in the same way. The number, the 25% number I gave you includes state and local. Okay. I'm just looking at a different place. So okay, we, we, can, we can look back on that. Um, yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm looking down here. We've got social security taxes included, income and profit taxes, property taxes. So we pay the lowest taxes and are running up our deficit faster than anybody else. Duh. Now we're also having a faster growth rate than a lot mm -hmm. of those other places. So there's a balance there. Low taxes there lead to, to higher growth rate. However, at some point you have to pay for the things that those initial investments were for. My point is just this. Complaining about excess borrowing by the federal government, by a Congress that holds our taxes to about two-thirds of what the rest of the average in the rest of the world are paying, is to me a contradiction. The reality is we spend a lot of money and we take in less money at the federal level. And we take in less money at the federal level because the federal government, the Congress of the United States, and specifically the House of Representatives, has made a decision to have lower taxes than spending. And they do that every year in the budget. And that is, with the budget, they could pay, they could raise taxes across the board in the United States to pay for our debts. And probably we beat that horse to death. Yeah, I've got some historical references for that. We could keep talking about this for hours and hours. But instead, we're going to play some commercials and come back to some questions that we have from Inquisitor John. Right. I might make a quick reference that the long-term historical tax rate that's been used most often across all realms, going back as far as we have records, is about 30%. Um, mm -hmm. that's, but but we're, we have lower taxes now. Yeah. So if you go now back... We're running the deficit up. Right. If we go way, 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 way back, even all the way back to like the beginning of recorded history, most governments were religious in nature and like the god kings of Egypt or... Uh, the Hebrew um, tithes were collected to pay for their government, even though it went through a religious institution. And there were three tithes, and the Egyptians charged one-third. So we're charging 25%, and we're running up a deficit. Um, it sounds like we're advocating for taxes. And we've got some questions hanging out there from Inquisitor John, our most faithful and inquiring listener. He has consistently given us questions for years now, and they have a tradition behind them. He's got two questions out there, and as is tradition, he has taken a digital picture of the paper analog Wall Street Journal to email to us with a question so that we may look at our digital version of the Wall Street Journal and compare the stories, which, by the way, are not 
always written with the same words. Think about that for a second. That's that's very 20th century, isn't it? Um, okay, so his first question was China economic stats. Uh, he's got an article in here saying China's GDP expands 6.1% and China's recovery slows as factory service and activity recedes. What does that mean? They just expanded at 6.1% and they're slowing? What? Well, it's a little confusing. That's not the nature of his question, though. He says, China economic stats have always been sketchy and controlled largely by the CCP. Do you think their economy is worse than published? So before I we hand this back and forth, because we, have, we both have things to say about this, the first thing I want to say is where we have common ground with China on statistics. Uh, the Chinese government is the major source of economic data about the country of China. You would think, oh, well, that sounds horrible. The government shouldn't be in, involved in that. They're not trustworthy. The majority of statistics about the United States economy also come from the United States government. Now, it's when we wax eloquent about loving our bureaucrats and the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the Labor Department and um, all of that good stuff, it's because they've become so non-political. They are truly bureaucrats that are looking at spreadsheets all day long and just putting numbers in, where in China, it's a little different. So here's the other parallel between us and China, because when, when people talk about even private companies in China, they say, well, there's requirement for a party member to be on the executive council. And people have to really cater to that party member. And the party member has a lot of veto control over what goes on in the corp private corporation. And I would compare that to any economic, or I should say finance company in the United States, or any defense contractor in the United States is required to have a compliance program that generally has a chief compliance officer whose whole job is to make sure that we're following the law of the United States when dealing with money or defense contracts. So it's not too dissimilar on the surface. Who pays for the who pays the party member, who pays the compliance officer? Well, it's the private company. Here's where things differ. The party member might be the same person across, I don't know, 15 major companies and reports directly to the district party member where a compliance officer doesn't report to anybody but themselves and maybe puts out an audit report for the public. So there's a lot more political motivation in how companies report their profitability or whether they're hiring or firing. This is the sketchy area of Chinese economic stats, and it's become much more sketchy over the last three years uh, as the government lockdown, and more specific more specifically over the last five years that the advent of the trade war, the statistics started to getting muddled. Um, and that's basically because the Chinese government wants to use those, those pieces of data for popularity or for negotiation against Western governments. Now, I want you, you we've got parallels here too, and you wanted to say some of them about in the United States, we have ways of paralleling the government statistics. Like, yeah, we, we do. And there's a whole science gone into this. You can satellites over China can look at the number of lights, the intensity of light being emitted from artificial lights in the country and tell a lot about what's really going on in the GDP in China. Right. In the United uh, States, we have ADP as an employment report that parallels our unemployment. 
Right. And, and we have, uh, we have, we come at it from a number of different directions and believe me, there's a lot of, if, when the, when the government, the, the Bureau of Economic Analysis or the Bureau of Labor Statistics publish something, there are plenty of private folks who look at that and say that either makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And they would holler. Those two bureaus are as non-political as anything you'd ever want to do. They're doing their best to give numbers. Now, as Jake said, in China, if you go up through the governmental system, there's a lot of effort to please the people above them. But that gets we can look at things like the number of ships in the ocean that are bringing fuel to China. Yeah. And so we can estimate how much fuel is being imported into China who has practically no fuel of their own. We can look at the uh, a lot of shipments around the world and make a pretty good estimate about what's going on in China. And as a result, the Chinese official reports have been becoming more and more accurate because they realize they can't get away with lying and uh, people will stop taking their money and investing it in things in China if the Chinese government is truly, totally cooking the books. Now, this sounds a little different than what we've said in the past, that their reports are becoming more accurate. Having said that, fewer reports are available. They have taken down a lot of the economic data that their political folks don't have time to look at. So we used to have a lot more data sources in China than we do today. So is it sketchy? Are, do they, is their economy worse than published? Um, yes. Maybe. As published by them. Because we can look at the debt numbers and those aren't easily fudged. And we can say, whoa, private corporations, public money, there's a lot of debt in China and interest rates are up there too, which means that... When we're seeing manufacturing dropping month over month and year over year, last year at this point, they weren't doing a bunch. So to see their PMI, the, man the, the purchasing managers index, that's buying big equipment for manufacturing. It's, it's in contraction. It's going downward. So yeah, it's sketchy and it's probably worse than what is being shown universally. They've got some pretty big problems to go forward and... A big chunk of that is manufacturing is leaving China at about, well, at a faster rate than it started going to China in the 90s. So that's that's going to be impacting their PMI into the future. And we're almost out of time for this hour. Uh, yeah. John had another question about the United States and earnings, and we'll get that to that at the beginning of next hour. Because it's kind of a parallel to what he was asking about China. Are we cooking the books at the company level when companies can change what they call an earning from one quarter to the next based on what's happening. And we'll get into that in some good detail, or at least enough detail not to make everybody fall asleep while driving. Uh, well, that's not guaranteed. There may be some people falling asleep while driving. If you start to feel drowsy listening to us, please read the label that we are clearly broadcasting. Do not operate heavy machinery while listening to economic discourses. This is Vitally important. Uh, the liquid being delivered in this discourse may be hot. Okay, now we've got those extra disclosures and disclaimers out there. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we'll be back next hour to talk more on the air. But if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give customized fiduciary investment advice and business advice to people of relatively high net worth. Uh, we also do portfolio management in the middle of that. That just makes it easier. Um, if you would like to talk to us about that, we have voicemail waiting with bated breath over the weekends and real live people on the weekdays. 
Locally, you can reach that line at 254-947-1111 or toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com where you can read our newsletter, see our famously made-for-radio faces and our wonderful staff. You can... You, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can uh, listen to our radio program going back lots of years. Contact us through the contact form or through email.